Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Muslims and Arab Americans in our area are seeing increasing hate at home as the war and siege on Gaza continue. And for many in the community, the attacks, threats, and acts of hate take them back to the days following 9-11. Last week, we spoke with Nader Issa, a reporter for the Sun-Times, who's been gathering community reaction. We started by talking about the highest profile example of anti-Muslim and Arab hate in our area since October 7th. That's the killing of six-year-old Wadia Al-Fayoumi, a Palestinian-American boy in the Chicago suburbs. Now, prosecutors say 71-year-old Joseph Shuba stabbed the boy 26 times, targeting him and his mother, Hanan Shaheen, for their ethnicity and their Muslim faith. I asked Nader to explain what he's heard from people about what happened to Wadia. So by all accounts, this is a, a little boy, six years old, who had a sort of grandson-grandpa relationship with the family's landlord. They played together. The The older gentleman would get him gifts. Uh, they, they had a really good relationship. But once everything started happening in Gaza the past uh, few weeks, the, the man uh, came into the door, approached the mom, uh, apparently tried to put his hands around her neck, and went and grabbed a knife and killed the boy and uh, very badly injured the mother. And by all accounts, by the, the sheriff's office, by prosecutors, uh, community leaders, this boy was targeted and this family was targeted because they're Palestinian and because they're Muslim from the war. So there's no doubt in, in their minds that this was a, a targeted attack? This was very clear cut. Sometimes with hate crimes, you see a take a little bit, a few days, a week or two to sort of get the motive. But this was something, it, it kind of surprised me at how quick it was uh, figured out just the very next day. That's what police and prosecutors said. Prosecutors also say that Juba had been listening to right-wing radio about the Israel-Hamas war and that it spurred him to commit the alleged crime. Now, some people that you talked with, they blame media and politicians for advancing dangerous rhetoric about the war. What did they say was wrong or incomplete about the messaging? Yeah, something that's important to sort of realize here is the problem, at least for many in the Arab community and and Muslim communities, it isn't just with right-wing media. It's with sort of your mainstream U.S. media. And a lot of times, like this case in particular, stories are taken out of context. They're taken sort of in a vacuum. The history of the conflict there hasn't been included in stories. And so people see the news sort of starts with a one-off attack uh, one way or another, and it's in a vacuum. It's just this happened, and there's no context behind it, nothing that led to it. And that's sort of what you've seen experts on the region talk about the past few weeks is this didn't start on October 7th, of course. There's a siege, there's a blockade, there's an occupation, and none of that usually is addressed in, in news stories. Any specific examples of, of phrases or narratives that they say they're taking issue with? Yeah, the, that is one, the, the sort of incomplete context and missing context. And then when it's put in like hand in hand with 
calling Arabs or Palestinians or their actions savage or barbaric, or you've seen politicians say human animals or inhuman, those types of things. It's, it, it goes, of course, to dehumanize Arabs and Muslims and specifically Palestinians here. And it, it leads to this sort of increased feeling of fear for a lot of people of Muslims and Arabs and Palestinians. And while, like, look uh, look around me, there's something dangerous. Uh, there's dangerous people in my community. Mm. You talked with University of Chicago sociology professor Iman Abdelhadi. Uh, she has studied Muslim American life, and she was talking to you about how anti-Arab and Islamophobic sentiments, they're, quote, deeply rooted in American culture. Tell us more about her perspective on, on what's been happening. Yeah, and, and I mean, you said this at the top, but it, it brings back memories of 9-11 for a lot of people and post 9-11. And I sort of always think back to how a lot of people say that's the closest the country has ever come together, but not for everyone, obviously. And during that time, there was a lot of anti-Muslim hate and uh, what sort of happened is it's dissipated over the years. It's sort of gone into the background and that's what this professor said, but it never truly disappears. People build those feelings. They they have those images in their minds. They have those feelings in their heart. And what she said is when Muslims aren't in the news and Muslims typically are in the news when something's bad, something bad is happening overseas, mm -hmm. that goes away. But then once the news starts to pay attention to Muslims again, and it's usually something bad, it's a war, those feelings rise back up. And she said it feels like we haven't sort of made progress in the past 20 years, and we're seeing now in the past few weeks, we're taking a 20-year step back. To that end, the, the killing of Wadia Al-Fayoumi and the attack on his mother, who survived, are not the only example of anti-Muslim or anti-Arab hate that's occurred in our area. So what else has happened, Nader, and, and how have community members been responding? Yeah, so there's been an incident in the western suburbs in Lombard where a man is charged with a hate crime for allegedly threatening to shoot two Muslim men in sort of the lobby of a condo building. There was another incident in the western suburbs where a man in a grocery store told a Muslim woman to go back uh, where she came from. Uh, there are a couple schools that have gotten pretty violent and disgusting threats mailed to them uh, in in the mail and, I mean, very, very violent mentions of Wadiya, of uh, Muslim children. Um, and, I mean, community members and leaders, they've reacted how you'd think. It, it, it's sort of a community that feels under attack, that feels that it's unfairly being turned to as a, a sort of, I mean, some politicians, a hate group. I mean, you have... You have politicians calling for entire student groups on college campuses to be investigated as terrorists. And so it's it's a community and communities that uh, sort of feel like, here we go again, we're, we're in the spotlight and there's a lot of hate being directed our way. Another person you talked with is a student who attends Yale University and she recently moved back home to a Chicago suburb and this was in fear of her safety. What's her story? Yeah, so she goes to Yale and Ivy League school, obviously out on the East Coast, and she's seen incidents uh, where a student wrote the word terrorist on a dorm room door, uh, other students uh, calling Islam a barbaric religion, uh, and 
sort of just looks and, you know, this sort of general feeling of discomfort, this feeling of not being welcome. And she wears a hijab and she has friends who wear hijabs uh, on their heads. And uh, just she just didn't feel safe. Let's hear a bit more from her. This is Yale student Layla. People take whatever the media tells them, they consume it, and we have to pay the price for that. The Muslim community here. In this predominantly Arab Muslim community, 20 years I've, I've been here, I've been associated with this community, I've never felt unsafe, more unsafe than I do now in this moment. Even standing here, I don't know what people's intentions are, and I fear for my hijabi sisters or even just people who look relatively Muslim, whatever that means. You know, we've seen it sick. Sikh individuals were also attacked oh. post 9-11. Like, the ignorance is just insane. So anyone brown? Anybody who, brown, anybody who doesn't, who looks, who fits the part, has to pay the consequences yeah. for that. So Nader, she mentioned their uh, hijabis, and she also talks about uh, Sikhs who are not Muslim and other brown people, they're facing threats too. Yeah, and that's sort of how hate works. It's, it's a very ignorant feeling. It, um, it's not very detailed, and not something that is uh, goes into the weeds of who you should hate or who you should attack. It's just there's a brown person. This is who I'm seeing on the news is uh, called a terrorist. Nader, you also talked with people at a Southwest Suburban Mosque, and they say that this period of anti-Muslim hate is actually worse than the time post 9-11, which is interesting, right? So just take us back. Remind us what people in this community experienced after 9-11. What was that really like? Yeah, you know, it's sort of chilling to hear, like, uh, I, I was outside uh, this mosque in the southwest suburbs where Wadiya's uh, sort of funeral, his his wake was held. Uh, it's called an azan in the Muslim tradition. And, you know, I'm hearing stories about how the same mosque 20 years ago had a dog slaughtered outside their door and, and dumped in front of their door. And the same mosque had high school students get out of school nearby and come marching to the school in what the Chicago Tribune called an anti-Arab protest. And these are communities that have been through a lot and a lot of hate. And like Layla, who we talked about, uh, talked with earlier, she wasn't born when 9-11 happened. Right. And so she's experiencing this for the first time. But you think of anyone older, they were either an adult in school, they had kids they were afraid of, just this hate directed and sort of mosques becoming the center of police activity, uh, imams being targeted as potential terrorists or terrorist supporters because of their faith. And that's sort of how people feel uh, history is repeating itself. Yeah, so they're they're looking at that, looking back at that rather, and they're saying it, it compares to exactly what we're experiencing today. And there were no lessons learned, it seems. Many people have been taking extra precautions as a result. So what does that look like? A lot of people are just making sure to lock their doors. Uh, like I, I talked to someone outside Mosque Foundation, and she said this is a very peaceful community. We're all friends. We, we all sort of leave our doors open for each other, but... Ever since this started, we've we've all made sure to lock our doors. A lot of people are carrying pepper spray. They are, especially women, and women who wear hijab are walking in groups. Uh, you sort of, I, I know out at my park, like I'm seeing a lot of people walk in groups to make sure that they're safe together. 
Um, some people, especially women, too, are taking self-defense classes in case they're attacked. Um, and it's it's sort of I know this as a as a Muslim myself, but uh, I mean, hearing parents say when you go outside, when you go to the grocery store, just be looking around. Uh, take care of yourself and mm-hmm. it's something that's on a lot of people's minds right now yeah you you mentioned your faith there nader and i understand that one of the hate crimes happened not far from where you and your family grew up so what is all of this bringing up for you yeah i mean same thing just a lot of memories of of 20 years ago i was uh, i was in school at the time and you just remember kids classmates um sort of hearing perhaps what their parents were saying at home and coming to school and calling me a terrorist or calling other classmates terrorists and that sort of extending for years beyond the 9-11 attacks and it's you sort of feel like a target you feel like no matter what you do because of what you look like your name you're going to be a target of hate and so it, it brings back those memories of fear maybe a little bit of helplessness that like just here we go again. Mm-hmm. Well, from your own experience and what you observed in your reporting, how are folks finding support then within their communities? Yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, sort of community organizations and faith organizations that are holding events. We've seen some of them get canceled, like uh, some conventions get canceled by hotels. Uh, some Muslim. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So that's tough because it, it doesn't give people space to sort of be together and build community. But yeah, uh, just conversations too with family and with friends. Uh, the University of Chicago professor we talked to earlier, she said something that struck me, which is even people who aren't sort of devout Muslims and don't practice the religion, and I would consider myself in that, when these sorts of things happen, your identity and sort of feeling Muslim culturally really comes to the forefront and you identify a lot with your Muslim brothers and sisters and uh, sort of want to feel that as part of that community because everyone's sort of being treated the same. We'll leave it there. That's Nader Issa, reporter with the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you so much. Thank you. This Reset Conversation was produced by Dan Tucker, Meha Ahmed, and Brenda Ruiz. Get Reset in your inbox Monday through Friday by subscribing to our newsletter. You'll get the biggest headlines, see what we're covering on the show, and some recommendations for what to see and do in Chicago. Just go to wbez.org slash Reset News to sign up. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great day. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.